Welcome to the pod edition of NetNod Insight, where we take an important aspect of the internet and do our best to explain it with the help of a technical expert. I am Rob Allen, Product Marketing Manager at NetNod. I've been working in the tech industry for almost 20 years, which is just long enough to know that as soon as you think you understand something, everything's about to change. And my name is Johanna Eriksson and I work as a marketing manager at NetNod. Worked in the industry for four years now, so just a beginner compared to Rob. This time we are talking to Lars Johan Lehmann, who is Senior System Specialist here at NetNod. Welcome Lehmann. Thank you. Maybe just to start off, um, how would you describe the domain name system or the DNS? The domain name system is uh, what used to be <clears throat> the phone book in old times. I would possibly compare it to Google Maps today, maybe. It's a, it's a distributed database uh, which all computers on the internet can use to find resources that they want to use. And, and resources can typically be web servers or uh, TV stations or mail servers or anything. And they are usually referred to <clears throat> by a name, a domain name. Uh, and that domain name is the lookup key into the database. So once you have the domain name of a server or a service that you want to reach, uh, you can use that domain name to look up data in the domain name system database. Um, the interesting thing is that it's distributed. Um, it's uh, a single database that's distributed over many, many thousands, if not tens or hundreds of thousands of servers across the entire network. And um, uh, these servers each contain a little bit of the gigantic puzzle or mosaic that is the domain name system. And uh, by asking a, a resolver, which is a helping server, uh, each and every computer on the network can get access to that entire database. But how does the DNS work? Like, who runs the DNS? Uh, that's part of the beauty. It's, it's run and operated by uh, each and every one who wants to provide data. The, the database has, or any database, has two sides. One side that contains the data and provides the data to anyone who wants to look at it or has the authority to look at it. And, and in the DNS case, that's everyone. Uh, and the other side is the consumer side, which wants to look up data and find information. Um, and uh, uh, the uh, consumer side is easier to describe. It's uh, a helping server that sits somewhat near the, the computer that wants to look something up. So some, somewhere near your laptop or your phone, uh, there is a server. It could sit at the, your service provider. It could sit at the other end of your office or, or something. But there is a server that, that helps you to find information or helps your computer to find your, the information. And um, the other side is more complicated because it's hierarchical. Uh, the domain names are divided into what's called labels or subparts, substrings. And uh, you start from the top uh, there is a set of servers that hold the starting point to the entire database. And by tra traveling down the, the hierarchy, you can find other servers that contain other pieces of the puzzle and be referred to. The, the, the servers higher up in the archi sorry, hierarchy will, will refer you to servers further down in the hierarchy and eventually will reach the server that holds the information you're looking for. When... I sit at my computer and I want to 
ask this question. For example, I want to visit NetNode's website. So I ask the question or type in the URL in netnode.se. Then it's the computer that asks the question and the resolver who finds the answer. Have I understood it right then? That's a good way of putting it. Uh, when you type the URL into your browser, your browser will need to find the IP address. That's uh, the IP address of the web server that holds the information that you're looking for. Now, the IP address is more like a telephone number on the internet, and uh, um, the web browser needs to to translate the server name www.netno.se into its IP address, which could be 192.168.5.200 or something. Uh, that translation can be found in the domain name system. Um, and uh, the resolver will traverse the system, uh, possibly starting from the top uh, with one of the so-called root name servers. Uh, and the root name server will refer it to the servers for SE, which is the country code for Sweden. Uh, so the resolver will need to, to put a set, second question to the Swedish servers for .se and they will be again, the resolver will again be uh, referred to the next level down, which is netno.se and a third question will be issued uh, to those servers and there it will finally receive the response that uh, www.netno.se has that IP address. And once that's done, it can finally make the connection to the web server and uh, ask for the web page and finally display that on the screen. So it's something that happens very quickly. We're talking milliseconds here, uh, but it happens for every web page and sometimes many times for, for just a single web page. So we've just been talking uh, about DNS resolvers and just to give a quick explanation, these are resolvers that sit on your local network and they're responsible for sending out DNS queries to the other types of name servers that we are discussing in this episode. And one important thing to understand about the DNS resolvers is they have what's known as a cache. And this is basically a way of remembering a lot of the queries that they've been sending out to these authoritative name servers, which means that they don't have to send out a query each time if they've already looked something up before. And this saves um, not only time, but also burden on these authoritative name servers that don't have to be queried for every DNS lookup. How is DNS coordinated? There must be a rules and regulations. Uh, <clears throat> there are some, some rules uh, and, so to speak, regulations. Um, the, the most basic part of it is, of course, the technical specification for the DNS protocol. How, how are the packets exchanged? Because we are sending DNS packets uh, with queries and responses. And, of course, all the involved computers need to understand what's going on. So they have to follow the protocol and, and adhere to it. Uh, for coordination, it's local at each level of the hierarchy. So there is a top level, uh, which we refer to as the root, where there's coordination uh, between the, the organization that operates the root level uh, and the entities that, that, so to speak, live on the next uh, lower level in the hierarchy. And those are, for instance, country codes. Uh, I mentioned .se for Sweden. Obviously, each and every country in the world has its own country code. And there are also other codes which are referred to as generic, which uh, 
can refer to uh, types of products or services or uh, other geographic areas than countries um, and several things. There is one for, for Stockholm, for instance, in Sweden. There's another one for museums. Uh, there's one for air travel. There's one for hotels. There's one for banks and so on. Um, and that's fairly strictly uh, coordinated and regulated because you don't really want anyone to operate the country code for Sweden. That should be the Swedish uh, government that is the, 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 main, um, the main player in that field. And, and that's indeed the case. Uh, for the generic ones, there's an entire system of rules and, and regulations regarding that, and that's handled by an international organization called ICANN, the Internet Corporation for Ass Assigned Names and Numbers. And there's an entire policy, uh, policy-making body and corporation um, function uh, where where people from many, many corners of the world and many corners of society actually work together to set these policies. Uh, and the, there's also, of course, the administrative part where, which executes these policies, uh, which, uh, so to speak, uh, allows and disallows uh, applications for new top-level evidence and so on. If you move down the hierarchy and look at a, a top-level domain, uh, the top-level domain can, with some flexibility, sets, set its own rules for, for domains underneath. Uh, with the generic top-level domains, they, they uh, get a lot of rules from above, from the policy system that I mentioned. Uh, for the country codes, it's, more, it's, more, it's less coordinated uh, from a central standpoint, so uh, each and every nation can, uh, ha has more flexibilities to set their own policies for, for um, domain names further down the tree. Um, and uh, that means that you have different rules uh, and regulations in different parts of the hierarchy. Uh, they still function in the same way from a technical standpoint. So technology doesn't vary, by, but policy for who gets which name may vary in, in different parts of the tree. So let's go back a second and talk about the very top of the tree. Uh, what sits at the top of the DNS hierarchy? That's the root name servers, is Lehman Menschen. Uh, they direct the query down to the tree to the appropriate server. There are 13 root name servers in the world, and Netnode V operates one. That's the iRoot. Um, we operate in such a way that there are copies of these root name servers all over the world. Okay, so there isn't just like 13, and that's your lot. You've got 13, and each of those have multiple copies, so you can kind of access it from pretty much anywhere. Exactly. Okay. So, how important is the DNS system for the internet as a whole? Oh, it's absolutely fundamental. Uh, if the DNS stopped, uh, stopped working uh, entirely, uh, the internet would come to a grinding halt. Um, it wouldn't be immediate. Uh, it would take hours, if not days, but if it stopped working entirely, uh, uh, the, the internet would come to a halt, definitely. And given this importance, what are some of the main things that can go wrong with the DNS? Can you walk us through some of those? Yes, uh, there are uh, a number of different issues um, that can happen, and uh, there are also, of course, defense mechanisms to avoid, uh, to avoid that. Uh, one of them is um, uh, the typical configuration errors. Since it's a distributed system and there are many, many servers involved, uh, it 
frequently happens that that servers are are misconfigured and that can be that in in various ways either they stop responding at all or they give out the, the you know incorrect information now the further down in the hierarchy you are the less important uh, each piece of information is um, it's it's really disastrous if, if let's say the swedish top level domain breaks because that will that will create problems for uh, several hundred thousands if not a few a few million users uh, in Sweden but if um, the University of Stockholm uh, misconfigure their server it's going to hit only you know a limited set of students and and, um, and teachers possibly and a few people who want to look up information at the university so the higher up in the hierarchy the problem is, is created the the more uh, impact it has on the service. So you will immediately realize that the root name servers is a very, uh, very sensitive point. If, uh, if uh, the root servers collectively stop providing good information, you cannot take your first step downwards in the hierarchy. And by that, it means that it affects the entire DNS system. But what are some of the security issues uh, to be aware of. Uh, we hear a lot about DDoS attack and stuff like that. A DDoS attack is a, uh, is a network attack where someone uh, with malicious intent uh, tries to send more traffic to a server than it can handle. Uh, every computer has its limits and every network uh, connection has its limits. And if you manage to send more internet traffic than, than either the link, the, the connection, or the computer can handle, it will slow down and possibly even stop working. And that's called a denial of service attack. Um, DNS is no, uh, no uh, exempt from this. Um, you can definitely send these uh, distributed denial of service attacks towards DNS servers. And uh, the root is no, no uh, exception there either. So that's actually one of the reasons why there are so many root name servers, because uh, if there were only 13 servers, uh, which it actually was at one point in time, at one point in time, if you go back, um, you know, 25 years, um, if you had only 25 servers, it would be possible to overload them all at the same time. But with a thousand servers spread across the entire globe, that's a daunting task to try to take out that system. I will not sit here and say it's impossible, but uh, we really have worked very, very hard to, to try to avoid that scenario. There used to be another risk, which was uh, uh, impersonation, where people uh, tried uh, to put, uh, how shall I phrase it, fraudulent data in, in the database. Now, with modern DNS technology, there's something called DNSSEC or Secure DNS, which uh, adds uh, crypto signatures to all DNS data. So if you use DNSSEC and you check all the incoming data, including these uh, crypto signatures, you can validate, meaning you can check the authenticity of the data that you receive and make sure that you're receiving the correct data. It relies on uh, that both the sending side, the ones who hold the information and publish it, and uh, the consuming side, the resolver, cooperate. And the sending side will need to provide these crypto, these crypto signatures, and the receiving side will need to validate them for this to work. The route has been signed for, for um, 10 years now, and uh, many top-level domains have been signed for even longer. So it's... Um, 
technology that's widespread today. Uh, the possible drawback is the resolver side, where it is not as universally deployed as I would like, it to, see, to, like to see, but it's getting there. I see there's lots of security issues that we that we should be aware of, but what can operators then do to ensure their DNS servers works well? There are uh, different things to do on the different sides of, of this DNS conversation. The consumer side, the resolver, um, you should make sure that you operate modern software. You should make sure that you have enabled DNSSEC validation. And uh, if you don't operate it yourself, choose an operator that does this, this for you. So make that part of your, uh, your procurement cycle to make sure that you require the, the modern parts of the standard. It's more interesting on the provider side because there are more options there. Of course, you have the same options with the, with the modern software and uh, adding security features like DNSSEC and so on. But you can also um, enable better uh, redundancy and better uh, defense against denial of service attacks by uh, using uh, something called Edicast. It's a system that we do use for the root name servers, but you can use it equally well for, for other parts of the DNS system, and it works in the same way. If you choose to talk to a root name server on its IP address, there will not be a single server that responds to that IP address, as is the case with most other services. Uh, for for uh, the root system that NetNode operates, we have more than 70 different uh, servers located across the entire globe uh, that will respond to that IP address. And the uh, routing system, the traffic guidance system on the internet will carry your DNS queries to the nearest one. Now that type of system can easily be deployed for any uh, part of the DNS system. So uh, many top-level domains uh, who uh, operate large servers, large data sets, and again, they are also very important in the hierarchy because they sit at very near the top. They also uh, choose to um, uh, to operate uh, their service using Anycast. And typically you do that by turning to an Anycast provider that helps you with that. Because setting up such an Anycast network is hard, long and tedious work. And it can also be fairly expensive. And it requires a lot of technical coordination within that entity uh, that is unusual for operating servers. So we've just been talking about Anycast DNS. And just to explain, this is a type of DNS setup that gives you multiple instances of the same name server distributed all over the world. And this means that you avoid the problems you can experience if you have just one single name server answering DNS queries for your domain. Is it advisable to have more than one uh, provider of these Anycast services? Yes, if you're a top-level domain uh, operator or a registry, as they refer to, uh, I would definitely recommend having more than one DNS provider. Uh, because it takes, as I mentioned, a lot of effort to operate a cloud service uh, that uh, uh, provides uh, DNS service across the entire globe. And uh, every system has uh, the risk of uh, you know, having critical, critical uh, sensitives or crit uh, critical uh, vulnerabilities. 
if you have your entire fleet of DNS servers operated by the same entity and it's a systemic problem uh, that suddenly kicks in, you will lose your entire fleet. But if you distribute your DNS service across a couple of service providers for, for DNS services, and one of them has this critical problem, only a subset of your server fleet will be uh, will be hit by this, uh, this problem and the, the other parts will still continue to operate. Because DNS has redundancy in so many levels, uh, Anycast will, as this technology is referred to, Anycast will give you um, a redundancy on the IP uh, address level, but the DNS in itself has a different redundancy as, as it can use different server names and different server IP addresses for, for the same zone. So by, by adding layers upon layers here, you can create a tremendous redundancy and stability uh, in the DNS system. If you just say that I work, I don't know, in a company where we have a really important website that needs to be up running all the time. It could be, um, it can be a magazine, it could be a community, it could be e-commerce or whatever. Do you have three recommendations that companies should think about, about for having a reliable and good website uh, from a DNS perspective? Yes, from the, the DNS helps the client or, or, or the, uh, the user to find the information. So it, uh, the DNS doesn't provide the actual web content, uh, but finding the information is the first step and, and it's a very important step. I would recommend that if if the um, if the company doesn't have the knowledge in house that they they find and cooperate with a DNS provider that is really knowledgeable, and to make sure that uh, that DNS provider uses Anycast and hopefully also cooperates and uh, uh, you know uses services from other uh, DNS operators or multiple DNS operators so that we avoid this uh, single point of failure that comes from a systemic error uh, and also to use secure DNS because that adds stability in the receiver end when, when the resolver receives the information it's able to validate the content so uh, the, the clients will not be misled. So um, knowledge and know-how is a very important factor, any cost is a very important factor and DNSSEC is a very important factor. In terms of developments, what do you expect to see in the next few years? I think the DNS world is going to change uh, slowly, but in a fundamental way. Uh, there are a couple of things in, in the pipeline, so to speak, on the protocol side, uh, where one is uh, to encrypt the DNS traffic. Today, the DNS queries, the, the domain name you're asking for and the response, which contains the IP address of the server you asked for, uh, is all sent in clear text, uh, regardless of secure DNS or not, because secure DNS doesn't add uh, cryptography to the content of the DNS question. Uh, it adds a crypto signature behind it that, can, that helps you validate the content. But you, anyone who can look at network traffic can still see the DNS queries going back and forth and they can see which IP address, which, which resolver asks for which, um, which domain name. Uh, now, that isn't always desirable. So uh, a modern 
standard uh, adds the feature of encrypted traffic uh, and that's going to change things uh, a bit i think um, that will probably not change the traffic patterns in the dns but something that will is another standard which uh, is called the dns over http which means that you send dns queries as normal web traffic um, and in doing so you can send the queries uh, to the side of the normal hierarchy you can bypass the hierarchy and start to obtain information not from your nearest resolver as is the custom today uh, but from another resolver somewhere uh, at a totally different point in the network uh, which can give you a different view of the network i think that we may see uh, uh, what's referred to as a balkanization um, where where different parts of geography uh, in, at least initially uh, in different parts of the world you will have a different notion of the internet you will see different parts of the internet the dns information will no longer be one and the same regardless of from where you ask your query so depending on where you are on the globe you will get a different answer for your web service we see this already today with for instance in china if you try to look up the the IP address for, for Facebook in China, you get a different answer than you do in, in Europe or in, in North America. And I think that's going to be uh, more pronounced in the future. Well, lots to think about. Um, thank you so much, Lehman. We've, we've hit our time now. Um, thank you so much for, for giving us an insight into the DNS and um, much appreciated. Thank you much, very much for having me. So thanks very much to Lars Johan Lehman. Uh, if you want to find out more about DNS and the different DNS services that Netnode provides, you can check out the Netnode website at www.netnode.se. Now we hope you have enjoyed listening to us. Please let us know if you have any questions or topics you would like to learn about in future Netnode Insights. You can reach us at info at netnode.se.